You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Again, welcome to Anthem Church. You guys can uh, take your Bibles out, to, and we'll be opening up to Matthew chapter 28. And just for clarity, we will be back here next week, and then after the holiday, that's when we do the Church in the Park stuff. But again, Matthew 28, and so... We're kind of in a two-part series, and this is the second part, of just kind of an intro to Anthem. It's just recognizing that we have a lot of students that have come back and a lot of new people, and we just want to clarify what we're about as a church. Next week, we, we get back to the exegetical teaching, just books of the Bible. We'll be in the book of Nehemiah, and so we're excited for that. Um, but last week was covering the vision of Anthem Church, and, and this week is the mission. And so if you missed last week, the vision of Anthem Church, what we want to see is we want to see people who genuinely know God, and from that knowledge, they love him and obey him, right? And in that order, what you don't want to do is settle for behavior modification, right? Where there's not a genuine love for God, and they don't really know him, but it's like, here, let's just fix your behavior, right? No, we want it to be a genuine knowledge of who God is, and from that, once you know God, you're like, and what he has done for us, comes this love that overflows in obedience. So that's the vision of Anthem Church. Now we get to talk about the mission. The mission is how does that actually get played out, right? So that's the vision. You want people to know, love, and obey, great. But how does that get accomplished? That's where the mission comes in. And again, you're going to notice about these things is, is they're simple, right? It's pretty simple. But just because something is simple to say or to understand doesn't make it simple to actually do. For example, golf, right? Golf is a fairly simple concept, is it not? Like, put the white ball in the hole. And if you're confused, they have numbers of which hole to go to next, right? Golf is as simple to, to understand, but it's actually harder, at least for me to do. In fact, a story, uh, when I was in high school, we went out golfing uh, with some buddies of mine. And we went to Collison's Par 3 golf course in Garwin, Iowa. And I remember, I think it was like the 12th tee, like stepping up and, uh, with my club of choice. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, be the ball, feel the ball. And like I step up and I, and I swung and it's like, see the ball heading in the direction of an innocent man on the 13th tee, green who's just simply trying to, to putt his ball in. And uh, I watched my ball just crush him in the, the side. And I thought, wow, this is not as simple as I thought. Um, uh, but that was, that was high school. I mean, I haven't hit somebody since then. In fact, the last time I went out golfing, I, I have up, upgraded from hitting people to hitting a parked car. And so um, I'm a lot of fun to golf with, you know. So if you want to go, that legitimately, last time. Uh, so um, I'm due again. So if anybody wants to go golfing. But again, the, the idea is it's, it's simple, right? It's simple. The, our vision is simple. Our mission is just as simple, but actually executing it is a little bit of a challenge. Our mission is this, if you're taking notes, and it's in your little pamphlet too. The mission of Anthem Church is to make disciples that make disciples. That's what we mean. We want to make disciples that, makes, that make disciples. You're like, that sounds good. Yeah, we didn't come up with it. Actually, Jesus said it first. And so in our text, Matthew 28, and it'll be on the screen as well, 
But we're going to look at uh, verses 18 through 20. This is kind of known as the Great Commission. But it says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so in here today, we're going to see, Anthem Church, that there's the commission, the commissioner, and those being commissioned. Right, we're going to see the commission, what he's, what he's challenging us to do and make disciples. Who's saying this? Jesus, the commissioner, and who he's commissioning to do that. And so let's start. What's the, the first thing, the, the commission? What's he saying? In this, as you look at verses 18 through 20, the imperative command is that we would make disciples, right? And a part of the byproduct of making disciples is you're going to baptize them, you're going to teach them to obey. But the, the command there in verse 19 is make disciples. Before I keep using that word, let me define it. A disciple is simply this. It's a follower, one who accepts and assists in the spreading of the doctrines of another. So you could be disciples of Chick-fil-A, you could be disciples, but, but what we're talking about today is, is a Christian discipler, aka a follower of Jesus. So perhaps more narrowly defined is a disciple of Jesus is a person who accepts and assists in the spreading and the teaching of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. In other words, it's, it's someone who knows God, loves him, and obeys him, and goes and tries to help others know, love, and obey. That's, that's a disciple. And so it's from this commission that we really find the mission of Anthem Church. And guys, I'm excited because you look at what God has done in this year in the life of Anthem Church, and truly people are growing in their knowledge and love and obedience to Jesus. But here's the reality. Before we continue to dive in, I do want to set up a little bit of attention because I would say while this is our mission at Anthem Church, I don't believe we're doing it as well as we could. And I think you intuitively know that. Because if I asked you and I said, hey, do you feel like <laughs> that you're satisfied with the level at which you're being discipled? In other words, if I said, hey, there's a godly older person that wants to meet up with you and wants to pour into you, who in here is like, you know, I'm good, I'm pretty well. Like most people are like, really? That'd be great. Like there's a, there's a, a longing for more of this to take place. In other words, it, it's falling short. Or perhaps you've taken our advice and you've, you've gone to connection group. And perhaps you've done that, but yet walked away some evening going, man, I have stuff going on in my life, and no one really asked me about that. No one really asked me about my struggle, perhaps with this family member, or perhaps infertility. Or no, one, no one seems to, to, to have thought to ask me about the newborn that's keeping me up all night, or ask me about my job and the tension that's there. Have you ever, I'm not asking you to nod along or show hands, but perhaps you've attended a connection group, and you thought, I just didn't really take away much from that evening. And here's the thing, is this desire to be known and loved and heard, it's a right desire. And it is no fun to be amongst a crowd or amongst a group of people and feel like you're having to do life alone. And in reflecting upon this this week, realizing that 
that here's this clear commission in Matthew 28. And the reality that I think you could testify to yourself, it's not happening at the level perhaps God would have for us in our own hearts desire. The reality is our ineptness in this makes, it makes me sad to realize that, that this could be happening at an even greater level, but yet we're not doing it as a church. And I believe you know that in your heart, right? That you know that, man, I just wish somebody could be pouring into me more. So what's the problem? Why isn't this, why aren't we making disciples? Why aren't we being poured into as much as our heart desires? What's the problem? And Ryan Hill, pastor at Veritas Church in Cedar Rapids, the church in kind of our network, really helped me realize that the problem, the reason discipleship is not happening at Anthem Church at the level I would desire, that we would desire, the problem is me. And here's what I mean by this. That when I enter a group or when I come to church with this mentality of, of I want people to know me, I want someone to challenge me, to listen to me, to grow me, Hear a repeated word there? This is me-centered mentality. It's this self-focus. When I enter church or when I enter a group or, or when I go out to a lunch with that kind of mentality, it's, it's a me-centered mentality. And if, what if everybody came to church or connection group with that kind of mentality? Well, I hope this is good for me. I hope I get something out of this service or out of this group. If not, it's going to be a waste of my time. Man, I hope somebody draws me out. I hope somebody asks me these questions. Think if somebody was going to get married and you began to like press on, perhaps we'll just take the groom, for example, easy target. And you say, so why do you want to get married? It's like, well, man, I'm just, I really think it'd be nice to have somebody to like kind of rub my back after a hard day. Like I, I would be, I just look forward to, you know, Someone there to kind of help do the chores and, and perhaps even provide financially. And I'm looking forward to this need of mine getting met. And, and, and you listen into this guy talk and you're like, so what's she going to get out of the relationship? Can you imagine if the groom's like, you know, never really thought of that. You'd be like, Lord, help that marriage, right? Like if somebody entered into to marriage with that me-centered mentality, that would not be a healthy marriage. And I'm saying if we enter into connection groups or we come to church with this what's-in-it-for-me mentality, I'm saying the, the problem, why this is not happening at the level that it could, the problem for me is me, and the problem for you is you. If you enter in with those kind of mentalities, perhaps we should start by asking, hey, who are you pouring into? Who are you seeking out for lunch and saying, hey, why don't you tell me your story? Why don't you tell, are you satisfied with the level that you're pouring into other people? Perhaps that's a better starting point than getting frustrated with the leader that's perhaps already meeting with a dozen people and trying to pour their life. Perhaps starting with that question, am I pouring my life into others? Make sense that the problem we have to we have to start with ourselves and, and trust that Proverbs eleven twenty five says whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. This idea that if we would pour our lives into others, perhaps 
in that, there's gonna be this refreshment that takes place and we get built up. And so I wanna set up, I, discipleship needs to happen more in this church. And I just wanna put a pressure on and say, hey, don't instantly look to like, who's older than me? Who's in leadership? Who should be doing this? I'm saying, as a church, can you at least get behind and say, hmm, perhaps my personal discipleship of other people is not at the level that I would want. And so if we're gonna get better as a church, we have to understand as individuals that since we're part of the problem, we have to be a part of the solution. Make sense? I wanna continue to talk about this, but, but I don't wanna speak to deaf ears. You have to understand that if, that, if, that if we're part of the problem and we're coming in with what's in it for me mentality, we've gotta switch that. And I love how Ryan Hill goes on to say, it's switching from a me to a we. This idea of switching from a consumer, what's in it for me, what do I get, to a contributor. If a marriage is going to be healthy, you got to be willing to contribute. It's got to be a we. And if a church, these connection groups, is going to be healthy, it's switching from a consumer mindset to one that's willing to contribute. And so here's the thing. Guys, this isn't, this isn't hey, this is my thoughts. Who said, Jesus is the one, right? When you look at the text, it's probably in red letters in your Bibles. Jesus in Matthew 28, as you look at it, who's giving this commission? Jesus is the commissioner, not Pastor Stan. You know, it even gives me, like when people call me Pastor Stan, like I don't call you box maker Brock or, or you know, <laughs> plumber or so-and-so. Like, okay, I get it. Like, if you can call me pastor, that's fine. I, I'm there, but, uh, but Jesus is the one that, that, is, that his commission is. Jesus said, make disciples. Do you see that in red letters? Matthew uh, 28, verse 19. Jesus is the one commissioning us to make disciples. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the resurrected Jesus who's giving this commission. He's the commissioner. Yeah, we took it and put it as our mission statement of the church, but Jesus is the one that said it. So if you're like, oh, this discipleship thing, that, that kind of sounds hard. I'd like to withdraw my formal complaint of not being discipled and sit on the sidelines. You don't get that option when Jesus is the one commissioning. He's the commissioner. And so Jesus, who we'd say is our Lord and Savior, that we trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. In Anthem Church, you have to understand, Jesus is not gonna call us to something that he hasn't already done. Jesus modeled this for his followers. When you look at the life of Jesus, when he says, make disciples, what did that look like for Jesus? He grabbed 12 guys, entered into ministry, three years walking with them, doing life with these guys. You talk of former fishermen, tax collectors, just a ragtag group of disciples. And he walked and did life with them. Sure, there was a sermon on the mount and perhaps some other kind of sermons, but they were getting to see ministry take place. They were getting to see miracles happen. They were hearing parables. They were meeting in smaller groups and sometimes larger groups and all-night prayer meetings in a garden, and they were certainly breaking bread together. This is what discipleship looked like for Jesus. Breaking bread together, be it loaves and fish or charcoal fires or Passover meal. These guys were doing life, and then that include eating together. And then here, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's appearing to them. He reinstates Peter, who had previously denied him, and he is just 
doing life with them. It's this understanding that when it comes to discipling, when it comes to growing someone, so much more is oftentimes caught than it is taught. It's this kind of this process, and I've shared this before, but it starts with someone saying, here, I'm going to do this, you watch. And then it moves to, okay, I'm going to do it, you help. Now, you do it, I'll help, you do it, I watch. There's this progression that even Jesus kind of took them through. And at one point, he turns them out in twos, and he says, here, you go do the ministry. Come tell me the stories in the end. And there's this progression that so much of it is caught versus taught. In fact, when I first went on staff with the church a number of years ago, Mark Arendt, who was a pastor at the time in the college ministry, said, ministry is relationships. And his big challenge to us as a young staff, he'd say, just go be around people, love them, be in relationship with them, and you'll figure the ministry thing out. Just being around people, and you see Jesus dedicating his life to them in this way. I'm just telling you, Anthem Church, that's certainly true for me. Uh, One of the guys that's probably been the most influential in terms of discipling me, helping me better know, love, and obey Jesus, Paul Sabino. I've known Paul Sabino for like 14 years probably. He was my college pastor when I was a 19-year-old student, you know, at Iowa State University. And uh, that's where I first heard Paul teach. In fact, Paul has kind of been in our network been coined like the prince of preachers. Like he's a great Bible teacher. And I just remember going to, to Salt Company every week and feeling like, man, this guy's talking to me. And, and I've, I've probably heard Paul teach over 100 sermons, which in our kind of plurality of like teaching, that's, that's pretty good, right? Since we share the stage so much. And so I've heard Paul give hundreds of sermons probably. I've been through like a discipleship binder with Paul Sabino, like discipling me. But I'm telling you, I've I've read books with Paul. I've taken classes with Paul. But just kind of in this reality that ministry is relationships, I remember meeting with Paul. I'm like, Paul, thank you for for investing in my life and teaching me so much. And he's like, asking me, he's like, you know, what kind of was it? And I really believe like he was as a, Prince of Preachers, like, getting ready, like, now what sermon? And I said, Paul, I can, out of all that you've taught, I admit, not the best student. I said, I can maybe remember five points from all of your sermons combined. Legitimately. Like, I have trouble, like, remembering, like, what was taught, you know, in the spring semester. And I did some of the teaching, right? Like, so when it comes to the, like, I said, Paul, honestly, I learned more remodeling your house on Greenbrier. I learned more through road trips with you to those speaking engagements than I did ever when you, you taught from the stage. When, Paul, when we were side by side or face to face, I'm telling you, that's where I really was shaped. When I saw you interact with your kids, I'm telling you, I learned way more from Paul Sabino. This is just my experience, indirectly, than I ever did directly. And just this reality that discipleship, this ministry being relationships. And Jesus, I think, modeled that. As you read the Gospels and you look at Jesus doing life with the disciples, so much of it is just them seeing it and kind of asking some questions, and so much of it was caught versus just taught and kind of downloaded. 
I mean, any parent that's got kids, you know that like just telling somebody the right thing to do, like your kids, like it's not like, oh, great, I just, I just needed you to tell me. Now it's stuck, right? <laughs> Parents are smiling like, it don't work like that. I know, neither does discipleship. You can't just say something, but just doing life with them. And here's Jesus, the one who's giving us his commission. He's modeled it for us with the disciples. And now here he is at the end of the, the Gospel of Matthew. You look, you're running out of real estate in the book, right? These are the last verses in the Gospel of Matthew. This is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. And he's telling the disciples to make disciples. This is God's plan A for the church, for, for Christianity moving forward. And there's no plan B. It all hinges on this commission, go and make disciples. It's not like, we'll see how this works. We've got a, a pretty big angel waiting in the wings. You know, we're just going to kind of fly this around and tell everybody about Jesus that way. No, it is, it is the disciples. That's where all the eggs have been in this basket, grooming these guys. In fact, it's so much fun to reread the Gospels through that lens. And, and, and uh, the Gospel of John, 17, it's these, these disciples kind of get it at the end of 16. And she's like, finally, you believe. And then almost immediately just goes to the cross. Like, finally, you got it. And he prays this amazing prayer about how the work has been finished, how he hasn't lost any except Judas, and, and the emphasis on discipleship. I mean, rereading some of those, those, why? Why did he have the disciples go and have them sit down in groups? Here, you guys pass out the bread. You know the bread, you're like, how are we ever going to feed all these people? Why don't you guys go pick up wicker baskets full of the leftovers? How many baskets that first round? 12 baskets. I don't think that's coincidental. I think that, that there's, we look at these miracles and it's like, oh, that's amazing. amazing. But it's like, who was that for? Was that for the crowd or for disciples? Again, likely both. I'm not trying to make it. But you're going to see right away that after the first feeding, he turns the whole crowd away. He's doing something. He's growing these guys because they are plan A. There is no plan B. It's about discipleship. And so he is commissioning them. How did this plan work? Seems pretty effective, right? The fact that here we are halfway around the world, and now we've got the gospel here. In fact, you start with a little sect of people, right, that is persecuted. And within a short time, this persecuted little minority group of people becomes the official belief system in an entire Roman Empire. The multiplication, this grassroots movement with it started with a small group that made disciples, it just begins to spread. They did not. And so how effective was it? Certainly. And this is the idea that multiplication beats addition. What I mean by that is, sure, you could, you could put out a big stage and have this big preacher come and do an event and maybe have a big group. But that you can't beat this grassroots multiplication. In fact, this idea that it, I've got a picture of like a checkerboard. You can see it on the screen. So if you started with one grain of rice, there's 64 squares on a checkerboard, and you started with one grain of rice, and you doubled it every time you moved a square. So one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16. I'm good at math. I can keep going, right? 16 becomes 32. Now it's going to get harder. 32 becomes 64. That's kind of what you have. If you just, and that's representing a person going sharing with somebody and saying, okay, in turn, let's go share to the next group, 
And so if you just kept this pattern up, let's just use rice, for example. Doesn't seem that great at the beginning, right? This is kind of the double. <laughs> and this next picture is not really going to capture it. But they just started abbreviating. You see the kind of thing? When you get towards the end, here's, here's what that means in terms of, of rice. If you can go back to the first picture, John. If you continue to double that rice, by the time you got to that 64th square, there would be enough rice, having had doubled it all the way, to cover the country of India 50 foot deep in rice. I mean, if you doubled it just like that, just on this checkerboard, you'd have so much rice that the amount of rice you'd have would cover India 50 foot deep in rice. What is that equivalent to? It'd be equivalent to 1,200 times our annual production of rice. There would be more rice if you did this just by simply doubling it 64 times. It'd be 1,200 years worth of production piled up. That's the idea that multiplication beats addition. What does this mean in terms of discipleship? That means if one person went and started discipling somebody for a year and then they turned around and went, the whole world would have been personally discipled. What is it, 10 billion people? The whole world would be personally discipled in 29 years. If you start with the 200 people that are here today, you shave 10 years off that process. If we just went and discipled one another, it's as if Jesus knew what he was doing when he commissioned us in this way. Like that slow burn thing really starts paying off. Yeah. The reality that multiplication beats addition. Jesus knew what he was talking about when he grabbed the 12. And here's the thing is I think this is hard because there's like, isn't there, isn't there something else we could do? Like in my mind, I'm like, I just want it instant, right? Which you should, I should be trained by now. Like stuff that's like instant, like instant food is not good. But like instant gospel, I don't know, would be better. Like I'm thinking, well, the solar eclipse, that would have been a perfect time to just put like a Bible verse in the eclipse. Like God could have done that. And then everybody could have been like, wow, there's God's there. And let's, right, that's just me. Like I just want, I just want to see like some celebrity like go and get their trophy. I'm like, I'm just going to tell you all about Jesus. And people are like, wow, I, we should follow Jesus too. Or, or perhaps I, I think like this, like, oh, if we could just get like a pastor president, like someone that's very pastor and as a president and just turn our country back to Jesus, then it's just, it's just me. Like, I just, I just want to find new and creative ways other than what Jesus has clearly laid out. Make disciples. That's the mission. Right? And it's not to say that the things like mercy ministry or, hey, racial reconciliation or let's do uh, missions work or all those things are good things. But the mission, the mission that we are called to be on as believers is to make disciples. Those things are byproducts of making disciples. But the mission, what we should be shooting for is to make disciples, to help people know, love, and obey, and to turn and do the same. That's what Jesus had them do, and that's what he's calling us to do. And so we see that Jesus is the slow burn discipleship, change individuals, bringing change. And so the commission, help people know, love, and obey. Jesus is the one doing that, and he's modeled what it is he's asking us to do, right? And so now, what does that mean for the commission? You got the commission, make disciples. You got the commission or Jesus. What did that mean for the commission, right? Here's, here's the reality. 
is he's talking to the disciples. If you have your Bibles, you can see in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. In verse 17, when they saw, that's the eleven, they worshipped him. And Jesus came and said to them, these eleven disciples. So that's who's being commissioned originally. So what did they interpret this commission to mean? Does that make sense? What did they understand Jesus to be saying with this? Right? We don't have to wonder. We actually get the next book in Scripture in terms of chronologically is, is the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. It's going to follow the disciples. And so they've been charged with this, go and make disciples. And we, we don't have to wonder what it is that they interpreted it to mean by that. Right? Because we have the book of Acts where we can just read and say, well, what did they think it meant to do that? And you can read the book of Acts. What's it mean to make disciples? And I, and I want to set up on this because there's a lot of people that say, we want to make disciples. But there's so much variety in how that's being done. You know, in terms of churches, like, well, we want to be about disciples. And, and so therefore, we do really big Christmas productions or, or you know, other ministries like we want to make disciples. So therefore, we, we give away free things to people. Like a lot of people want to make disciples, but what did it mean for the original disciples? And we see right away in the book of Acts, if you continue to read, which would be a great read this week, is we see even as early as Acts 2 that the gospel is shared, that they stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, that he came and died, that we need to repent of our sin, put our trust in Jesus. And in Acts 2, when people do that, then they say, great, to identify with him is baptism. And people identified with him, and then they got together, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Then they met in homes and, and broke bread and, and, and continued further study. And we see as you continue uh, that, that churches, that's what a church was then established and, and leaders were appointed. I think that to limit discipleship is solely growing an individual is to make too small of what the original commission was. To take something, to make disciples and make it just a personal thing, it doesn't exclude that, but I'd say more than includes that, that, that there's more intended with that. It's not just about the individual, because if it's just about the individual, again, I think it, it slides into that me mentality, my growth, and it's, it's not the we. It's a, it's a consumer versus a contributor. And so we see that, that when the disciples heard this command, they absolutely took it to mean go and establish churches, bodies of believers that would be unified, that people, individuals would be able to use their gift to build the body up. We're going to have the rest of the kind of the New Testament. You see that he writes to the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the third church in Thessalonica, and so on. Then he's going to write to Pastor Timothy and to Titus, who are overseers of these churches. You can't get away that what the original commissioned men would have interpreted this command to mean would be to go and make disciples meant that churches would be established that would be dedicated towards celebrating together, connecting, and people contributing 
In fact, in Ephesians 4, we've referenced this before, but in Ephesians 4, Paul would tell them that these gifts have been given to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The reason God has given you gifts is that you would be able to use those gifts to build up the body. He'd go on in 16 to say, each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And again, in Corinthians, we see that these gifts are given to build up the body, that, that God's doing something in the, in the individuals, but the individuals coming together is this beautiful expression. Jesus refers to it as his bride, that it's the body. And so it's not to say that God can't use things outside the church, but I'm saying when you look at the commissioned, what they were about, the, what was the focus? It was about making disciples, and that absolutely meant building up local churches, seeing them led and shepherded well, letters that were written to them to continue to see their growth. Does that make sense? And so we can't slide back into that consumer mentality and just have it mean, well, what? I, it's about the individual. Seemingly, when you look at the original guys, that's, that's not their interpretation, nor should it be ours. And so the commission, the commissioner, and what did it mean for the commission? And so what I'm saying, we want to take our cues from Scripture. I'm saying for Anthem Church, how that practically gets played out then is what we see in the book of Acts, that we would celebrate together, that we would connect, and that people would contribute. And so I want to break those down a little bit. When we say celebrate, that means coming together like this on a Sunday or Thursday where we gather, gather together, we open God's word, we teach the Bible, and we worship together. We celebrate together, and you see the church coming together to do those things. But here's the reality. That's a great first step. It's a great first step that people come and celebrate with us. But if that's the last step, man, we fall short. Because if, if the only thing that is done, and again, welcome, glad you're here, but if, if that's the last step you take with us, it's hard to move from that consumer spot to contributor, to giving back, to connecting. And so the way J.D. Greer kind of defines this is like, what you have is if everybody just comes and celebrates together and there's not these next seas, you kind of have like a cruise ship where a cruise ship, you know how a cruise ship works, right? You have a nice boat with all these features and all the, all the stuff, and then you put out this amazing buffet, and the role of the people is to come and consume. That's what they're there for. And the staff works their tail off to give them a great experience, but it's all about kind of the in individual. And if you operate a church like that, that might mean, hey, we gotta have you know, the best whatever kind of show in town because we really wanna keep people but here's the reality is if you operate church like that, it's really hard to maintain. It puts a lot of pressure on a staff. I don't believe you're loving the individual and using their gifts. And then when the next best cruise ship comes to town, people just jump on over. I mean, that's a way to do it. You could, you know, find worth and how many butts are in the seat and how big your budget is and how big your building is. But, but is that really what we're called to be about? And so moving, and here's the thing. Somebody's like, well, I connect and I contribute. I just come here to consume and I give back. It's just in these other areas. You're like, really? You would say that? I did? <laughs> like, I can't get mad at you because that's what I did actually all through college. This might come as a shock as you. Don't, I'm not proposing this. 
but I did not attend the church that ultimately hired me on staff and wrote my paycheck until I accepted a job from them. And I was on leadership. Like, I was on the, the college ministry leadership, and I didn't go to the church that supported our college ministry. Like, what were you doing? I was like, I would go home, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to soak it up here, and I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to share with these people. It flies kind of in the face of, of Galatians 6.6. 6. It says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches it. This reality that, that you would contribute to where it is that you're consuming from. At least that's where we would want to grow people towards, right? If you want to come and just consume for a while, that's great, but we want to push beyond that. And we want to see people that really get connected and contribute. And so it starts with celebrate, but hopefully it doesn't end there. For our church, we want to see people get connected. That means that for us, connection groups. This is a place where you're able to study God's word more in depth, that you're able to break bread like they did in Acts, share meals together. And that's where, again, accountability, things that happen in connection group. And we've chosen as a church to put all of our eggs in that basket. What we could have done, and I'm saying this is a way to do it, you could do a men's ministry, a women's ministry, like a, this recovery group, like you could do those things. And I'm not saying you couldn't, but kind of the fear of the leadership is like, man, you could, people could just continue to, to bounce from ministry to ministry and perhaps never really turn and, and get outside the church world. And so we've chosen to say, we believe that a really healthy connection group really meets a lot of those needs. A really well-functioning connection group can meet the needs of our people as they share life together. And that people that are struggling with addictions in connection group, as that group rallies around them, we've seen time and time again experience healing. We've seen marriages, you know, heal. We, it, connection group is kind of where we've put all of our eggs in that basket to really help people connect. And you don't have to fully agree with it. We could discuss, hey, well, we could do these things. That's fine. But, but nonetheless, you can't deny that what we're being commissioned for is more than simply coming to a celebrate service. You'd have to agree that we need to get connected. And for us, what that means at this time is through connection groups. And then kind of from there, we want to see people contribute. Exactly what we saw in Ephesians 4 that, that God's people would use their gifts for the building up of the body. Does that make sense? That, that going from a me mentality, a consumer, to really contributing, to building up of the body. And that's what we would want for Anthem Church, and that's where we started. That's what we need as a church, is for more people to get in the game and to use their gifts. More people to, to be like uh, Kevin, who's a freshman, it's like his first week here, and he's like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to serve and help them tear down this equipment. Like that mentality that, that, that says it's not about me, it's about this body being built up. J.D. Greer kind of in his, his book, Gaining by Losing, he's the one that kind of came up with these ships illustrations. And, and he would say, the church ought to be more like an aircraft carrier. You know, kind of think like Top Gun sort of deal. And that's like the church is there, the staff, these leaders are there to equip the saints, to, to build up, to pour into them so that they can go to their workplaces and, and take the gospel there, that they can go out amongst the, uh, uh, an unbelieving world and be a light in dark places. And so the role of the church 
and what we want as Anthem Church is to be more of an aircraft carrier, to equip people to turn and go and make disciples. And so this idea that, that the call is for God's people from Matthew 28 to truly be contributing. And the reason we start here, Anthem Church, is we just wanted to be fair because it's going to be pretty awkward if, for y'all if you thought you were getting on a cruise ship, you know? Like, where's the buffet? We're like, get to work. <laughs> like, I want to be fair. Like, as a church, we want to see you mature, and we want to see you grow. And so, therefore, it's gonna, there's going to be an awkward tension. If you want to come and consume, we're like, hey, enjoy it. Because we want you to turn and connect and contribute in this place. Again, believing that that is the obedience to God's word and what he would have for his people. And again, implicit, it should be just implicit in the word, uh, the definition of disciple, one who accepts and assists in the spreading. Disciple means you're going to turn and make disciples. We tagged it on just because we want to be absolutely clear. We want to make disciples that make disciples. That's what Christians, that's what believers who have experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offers, the life that he has brought to us. It's implied that we would want to turn and share that, and we just want to make that absolutely clear, that that is our mission as Anthem Church. And so practically, what's this mean as we kind of close today? Practically, some of y'all might need to go to your connection group leader or might need to go to your leader and just say, would you forgive me for kind of having a me mentality? Like, I'm, I'm in, and I want to contribute. I want to build this place up. And so Perhaps a practical step as we get ready to take communion where Jesus Christ, whom lived a perfect life, yet went to the cross on our behalf. Uh, what is it? Mark eleven forty five. the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That as we take communion in light of what Jesus has done, his body broken, his blood shed, perhaps one of the application points for you is, Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> For not following your lead of serving and seeking to be served instead. And here's the next thing, guys. We asked you to get connected. We had special cards last week. In your program today, you're going to see on the back is areas that you can serve this church. And our encouragement that if you're celebrating with us and you're getting connected, that that next step would be contributing in the life of Anthem Church. I think like kids ministry, Christy's saying, man, we need help. And she's got it down to it's once every six weeks. I think that you would serve in kids ministry. I mean, any of y'all can do that, right? We, we have needs, I mean, for watching kids for connection groups. There's, there's this tech team, you know, this, this isn't the hotels, right? It didn't, we don't just show up. There's a group that gets here at six to set this up. And honestly, we enjoy it. And there's room on that team. There, there's welcome team, serve team. Perhaps you've got gifts like, I know there's a, there's a guy in our church that's like, I'm good at fixing cars. Ends up when you have a bunch of college students, they have cars that stink and break a lot. Like, that's a gift to our church that Todd brings in. So I'm saying, there's like that other thing in there. If you have other gifts, I'd say, please, would you fill that out? And would you continue to align yourself with our mission, which is to move from beyond consuming to contributing in the life of Anthem Church, trusting that multiplication beats addition, that if we're going to be the church that we so long and desire to be, 
one that meets the needs of others, that you would lead out and meet the needs of others. Amen? And so here's what we're going to do. As the band uh, leads us in worship, we're going to take communion together. And how this looks like is Anthem Church, there's four communion stations set up. There's, there's stations kind of in every corner of the room. And as we worship together, as you're ready in your time, you know, and prayerfully make your way to the communion table. You'll take a piece of bread, you'll break it, and you can dip it in the cup. Even those that you have a gluten allergy, we want you to be included, and there's the gluten-free even up here. And so, again, the desire as we do this, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And guys, all of this only makes sense that we can truly give our lives for building something up, having followed the one that made the commission of us, the great commissioner, Jesus Christ. And so we're taking communion, break it, dip it in the cup, and then you can return back to your seat and just remain standing as we worship together. Amen. I'm going to pray for us and we'll worship and do communion. God, thank you so much for modeling what it is that you're asking us to do. God, thank you for the command that is clear and it's simple, but not necessarily easy. And so we praise you for how that's happening. We thank you for the men and women that have poured into us to help us better know, love, and obey you. And God, as we take communion now and we reflect on what it is that you've done, just pray that that we would, this would be just kind of an act of surrender where we'd say, Lord, we're willing to turn and do likewise. We don't want to be the last kind of bulb on the circuit, but we're willing to continue this, God, for your glory, not for us, but for your glory. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus.